Hey guys, welcome to the Moms Talk Autism podcast. We have a very special community guest today who's going to share her story with diagnosis with all of us. Catch you in a few. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. All right, guys. So today we have the pleasure of speaking with Jen Haas. Um, she is one of our community members. And Jen, I'm going to tell them our meet cute. Can I tell them our meet cute? Okay. Yeah, please. <laughs> so Jen and I live right up the street from one another and had no idea. And she listened to the podcast, found me on Instagram, messaged me because she knew I was in Arizona. And we realized we literally live like four minutes away from each other. Stop it. And so now we're best friends. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't realize that's that how, that was the how it all went down. Yes. Yeah. Because we were like, Jen was like, let's meet for coffee. And I'm like, okay, well, we, you know, where do you live? So we can try to find like a, you know, equidistant yep. Starbucks. Yeah. Um, and she's like three minutes up the road for me. Like really ridiculous. Seriously ridiculous. <laughs> It was like a fangirl moment too, because I swear I slid into her DMs quite literally. <laughs> she slid oh, right fangirl in. talk. Oh my god. Oh my god. Right? Because we're like super lame in person, so it's just yes. funny when, when people, people say, say that. that I'm, yeah. I crack up. I'm like, yeah. Oops. Sorry, Tosh. I just made noise. Um, so anyway, Jen. Welcome, Jen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Thank you for coming I on. I can't thank you guys enough for having me. It, it truly is a, a full circle moment to actually be on the <laughs> podcast I've been listening to. So and just grateful that we can, you know, share our story and hopefully connect with this amazing community that you guys have created and, um, you know, maybe help someone not feel alone because that's what you guys did for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, oh, and gosh. I think your story, Jen, it's going to be really important because um, without giving like too much of your story away, one of your sons is autistic and the other is deaf. And that is a dynamic right. that we have never really talked about, you know, on the podcast before. And there's things that go into the different diagnoses and things that you've had to overcome because of that, but also the dynamic of having an autistic son with a deaf son. And we all know our autistic children <laughs> have mm -hmm. certain things in certain ways that everything needs to be. So that's, right. it's a whole different dynamic. Um, so I am hoping, you know, that by you sharing your story, there's parts of our audience who are really going to resonate with you. Um, and so why don't we just kind of start, give us just, you know, give us a little introduction, who is in your family, and then we'll kind of talk through your diagnosis. Sure. So um, so I'm, I'm 43. My husband and I have been together for 16 years, uh, married for eight. Um, and right after we got married, um, we started trying because I was mm -hmm. 35. Um, and just, I don't know, I just had a feeling that it was going to be difficult to conceive. And it was, we tried for about a year, couldn't get pregnant, ended up going the IVF route. And of course, my husband is just like, 
perfect with all the fertility <laughs> Clearly. stuff. He had no issues. It was, of course. <laughs> Everything was on you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all me, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but we did one round of IVF and got, you know, five embryos. Uh, they told us the day we went in for transfer that they were putting three of those bad boys in me. Um, the, the face I made when she said mm-hmm. that <laughs> was like, are you sure? Um, but she was right. And that gave us Mason um, and super blessed with that. Um, and then after he was born, um, I was worried that, um, you know, we would have the same issue if we wanted to have a sibling. So I kind of just went back to that doctor and just said, hey, probably later this year, we'll do another egg retrieval because we had no eggs left. Most people get a whole bunch of eggs and they can freeze right. them and mm-hmm. can save them for later. Anyways, um, so she went through like all the, you know, testings and everything and said, yeah, you'll probably have to do this again. Well, <clears throat> my husband and I were like, well, if we're going to have to do IVF again, I guess just we won't be safe. I, I don't know. Not, we're going to wing this. We're uh, just going to keep the goalie it. out. If it happens, it happens. Because, yeah, we don't. No goalie. Not, no goalie. <laughs> we're not worried about it. Everybody's like, yeah, you're not going to get pregnant. Mm. Well, three months later, <laughs> I was actually like trying to lose weight, getting into a fitness journey and was late and went, oh, oh dear. dear, what is happening? <laughs> and sure enough, um, <clears throat> was pregnant. So um, that was terrifying. I basically felt like I was pregnant for two yeah. years straight because you were. I was. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so 13, you know, months after Mason was born, uh, Connor was born. And um, I'm sure you guys have been through this, but they do newborn hearing screenings um, in the hospital. And uh, when he was born, he had some fluid in his lungs. So he was actually in the NICU um, the whole time that we were in the hospital, which was about four days. Um, So they actually did his hearing screening in the NICU and um, he failed it. And they were like, you know what? don't worry about it. He's in the NICU. There's lots of monitors. There's lots of noise and things. So we want you to come back in like a week and take another test. And so my husband brought him back a week later and he failed that one as well. Um, And again, I just didn't think anything of it. Um, Obviously, we we don't have any deaf people in our family. So it just didn't even cross my mind. And I had talked to other friends of mine that were like, oh yeah, my kids failed their hearing screenings. They had fluid in their ears, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So they basically told us you'll have to go back for another screening. Um, And I, I think that was at, he was about two weeks old. um, And for whatever reason, my husband stayed home and my mom decided to go with me to that screening. Um, I don't, it's just weird. God works in mysterious ways, but he knew that she needed to be with me for that mm-hmm. hearing screening. Um, and of course, you're going to somebody you don't know. We went to this audiologist. We didn't know. I have my newborn baby. I'm two weeks postpartum, all the things. Um, and she's got a little intern with her. She's learning hospital. So she's going to be helping with this hearing screening. Um, I remember during the screening, it took forever. Like they just kept testing and testing and testing. And they want the baby to be asleep. So I'm, you know, feeding him. He ended up peeing through his diaper all over me. I had to go change him. It was just, you know, a stressful yet non-stressful situation. <laughs> um, and they just kept testing. And my mom said that she 
could just tell that they just kept looking back and forth at each other, like trying things and, you know, not getting what they wanted. Um, and at, at one point, the, the sounds that they were making in his little headphones or whatever they put on him were so, it was so loud. I could hear it, you know, and she could hear it and he wasn't waking up, you know, and <clears throat> again, nothing crossed my mind. And I don't know if that's, you know, from all the, the trainings and things I've been through that are just like positive, positive outlook. Like it just didn't cross my mind that they could tell me in that appointment that my right. son was deaf. It, it just wasn't mm-hmm. in my, it didn't cross my mind. So at the end of it, um, the little intern that was there sat in front of us and just said, I am so sorry to tell you this, but your son is deaf. Um, and then she just said, here is a handout for our deaf and blind school. Here is a handout about sign language. Here is a handout about a local surgeon who could possibly give him cochlear implants so he can hear. And I just sat there like dumbfounded, uh, you know, almost thinking like, can you actually tell me this right now? Like, are you qualified to tell me, you know, I was in complete denial, but also like, okay, what, what now? And can I really fully process this? And of course my mom was, super upset and emotional for obvious reasons. But I think as mom, I was just in survival mode. I, I, I did not process what they told me. And Um, and your mother was grieving not just for, you know, her grandchild, but for her daughter, you you know, so. Absolutely. And I, I'm so blessed that she was there and we could comfort each other and, you know, kind of talk through it on the ride home. Of course, then I had to call my husband and my dad was at my house and kind of tell them that over the phone um, and driving back to our house because it was on the complete opposite side of town, Mm -hmm. of course. Um, And, and yeah, that kind of started our, our journey. um, And it, it was really, really hard. That was the first diagnosis we received that was, you know, we all had to go through the grieving process. We went through the five stages yeah. of grief and, you know, it, it, you get an early intervention person that comes to your house and starts talking to you about all of the services that you're going to need for your son and, you know, kind of which way to go. And I do remember they gave us a book and that book had the five stages of grief in it. And I was so blessed that it did because as I'm reading through it, I I was feeling all of those things. And my husband was feeling all of those things. And just for it to be right there in front of you so that you could acknowledge that that was what was happening and that it was okay um, was huge. Yeah. So can I ask? Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to. Yeah. I just hold yes. on, let's clarify for one second. And that is, so we have a husband who's John, then we have Mason, who's currently six, who's autistic, and we have Connor, who's five, yes. who's deaf. So I just want to clarify for everyone that you guys actually received Connor's diagnosis before you ever Earth. found out yeah. yeah, that Mason was autistic. So, yeah. Okay, so, go ahead. And I was just going to say, so uh, Connor is two weeks old. Mason is barely over He's one. 13. Yeah. 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 Wow. Basically two babies. Yeah. You're in it. Like you're in it. And can I ask really quickly, I might be jumping the gun a little bit here, but, um, did, did Mason present at all at a younger age? So it's hard because I feel like I wasn't really 
focused on that clearly with the, with Connor's diagnosis, that's Mm -hmm. kind of where my focus was. But at that time, he, the only thing that was different or odd to me was that he was not interested in Connor at all. Um, And, you know, you watch videos of Mm -hmm. siblings and, you know, they bring the baby home and they're just so loving and they want to help change the diaper. But I just chalked that up to Mason being a baby himself. I mean, he was Mm -hmm. barely one. And so I just kept saying, like, you know, it's just because of his age that he's not interested, but he really was not interested. And like when that baby cried, he looked at me like I brought an alien home and I should take it back. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And so I do, because we haven't talked about we haven't ever had an episode where any of the kids were deaf. So we're obviously going to get to Mason's diagnosis, but kind of talk to us about how Connor's diagnosis has gone and how that, you know, changed your dynamic and what you guys had to do. What was that like? Yeah. So, so like I said, early invention came and, you know, started working with us, um, you know, kind of walking us through what happened next. And, um, and we both at that, point had never heard of cochlear implants Mm -hmm. before um, at all. And so we kind of started researching that we did reach out to this surgeon that's in town um, and had a meeting with him when Connor was really little. I want to say he was like, maybe three or four months old at that time. Um, And he uh, was just very nonchalant about it made it seem like it wasn't a big deal. um, That there's this surgery that he can do. Uh, Granted, if he has all the anatomy, um, some kids who are born deaf don't have a cochlea or don't have any of the anatomy that they need that the cochlear implant would even work. So we had to take him in for like an MRI so that they could make sure he had everything to even qualify Mm -hmm. for the surgery. Um, And so I think we did that. I want to say it was around six months old. We did that MRI and then we went back to the surgeon and he said, yep, he's got everything. Um, so if you are going to go this route for surgery, um, he said, I will not implant both sides at the same time. Um, and that is his personal preference. And he was one of the only surgeons in town that actually does the cochlear implant surgeries. There are probably mm-hmm. more now. But at that time, he was the only one. Um, and other states, you can actually implant both sides. And in California, I believe they do it as early as six wow. months. Um, because what they found is the sooner the child hears sounds, the more likely and the quicker they are to pick it up. And it's all based on like brain activity. So not just hearing the sound, but actually having your brain recognize it as sound and then converting it. Um, so we said, okay, we believe that that's the route we want to go. We want to give him the opportunity to hear and speak, um, And so when he was one, uh, he got implanted on the right side. And then six months later, they implant on the left side. Um, And that's like, I believe it's like a month or six weeks after they're implanted that they actually turn it on. And so the way the cochlear implant works is they put something under the scalp, um, this this magnet that is connected in to the cochlea, and it has these electrodes. And that is kind of what all connects to the brain and tells the brain it sounds. Um, But then externally, there's hardware 
that he wears that actually processes all of that information and, and kind of brings it all together. Um, so he's still deaf, even though he has cochlear implants, he still is deaf. He will always be deaf. And if he decided one day that he didn't want to hear, he just doesn't wear his devices and he's still deaf. So we kind of looked at it like it's an opportunity for him um, and he can decide later whether he wants it or not. But at least we're giving him that opportunity yeah. and that choice versus just not doing anything. Um so yeah, it, it was a journey. He had to wear hearing aids for a while, even though he couldn't hear anything. They they say even if he could hear a slight bit, wearing the hearing aids will again promote that brain mm -hmm. activity to kind of help him later with sound. Um, you know, we had speech people, we have audiologists that we have to see that help with this programming. Um, there's just so much involved with that that you know we could do a whole mm -hmm. other episode on, um, but kind of where I think Shannon's leading this <laughs> to, um, which I'll get to Mason's diagnosis, but it is the dynamic between mm -hmm. our two boys. Um, and, and the dynamic is difficult because Mason, which we've learned with his autism, is very sensitive to sounds and noises, which at first glance, you'd say, okay, well, your son is deaf. It's probably really quiet in your house. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Deaf children make a lot of noise. Um, any child makes a lot of noise. Um, but he makes a lot of sounds that are just Mason's kryptonite. Um, they just send him into a flurry. So um, that has probably been the hardest thing for me as a mom is feeling like I have two children with special needs that completely conflict right. with each other. Um, we're here trying to promote Connor to make sounds and talk. And they tell you to sing to him every single day, sing everything you're doing. And that's going to promote his speech. But my autistic child hates when I sing. He hates certain noises. He can't stand it. And so I'm silencing one when I really need to be bringing the noise out to compensate for the other one. Um, wow. So wow. <laughs> that has been the hardest part and trying to find a family that's similar that could relate and be like, Hey, this is what worked for us. I have yet mm -hmm. to find them. And so that has also been really yeah. difficult. Yeah. And I can imagine too, there's probably some, sadness in that. Um, I mean, even with me, I think that there's some sadness that, um, you know, Gracie and Maya don't necessarily have a typical, you know, sibling relationship. Um, but with you, I can imagine it is a whole other level of that because while you obviously want them to love one another, like they're siblings, it is a struggle, a significant period of the time because they do conflict so much with their needs. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. You, yes, um, that is truly the hardest. And hardest then just part is that being you, so close in age, you mm -hmm. know, that they, they, if yep. it was maybe like a couple years between them where one, you know, one was a little bit older, they could recognize, you know, um, but oh my gosh, that is Jen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You want them to just, you know, love each other. And like I said, I, I have other families around me that have siblings and they just let me all siblings fight, but they just yeah. love each other, you know, and they just 
want to help each other, other teach yeah. each other or whatever. And we had some of those moments. But I, I remember when Mason was really, really little, they were probably like two and one. And Connor made a noise that he didn't like. And Mason just out of the blue, just, just smacked him, just smacked him. And his pacifier went flying across the room. And my heart just broke. My heart broke in that moment because at that time we didn't know Mason's mm-hmm. diagnosis. And so I didn't understand what was going on. Um, they both couldn't communicate. It took a while for Mason to actually be verbal enough to communicate what was wrong. And then obviously Connor, we still are working with him on communication. So the communication piece is, is 95% of, you know, why they are so frustrated with each other or have been. And for us too, because nobody can, you know, say what's going on or communicate appropriately with each other. So, and how, how does that work with you and John in those moments? Um, I think that sometimes in the life that we live, sometimes it can be hard to be a team all the time and like realize that like we're literally on the same team, you know, Mm -hmm. and it can be really difficult and there's frustration and there's emotion. And sometimes it feels like you're a little bit divided. Um, And I can imagine with your situation, again, it's another level of that because you've got two different diagnoses and everything that's going on. Um, How do you and John like tackle those moments and how, what does that look like for you guys? Um, We lose Mm -hmm. our minds a lot. (laughs) I could use another word. We, um, it's been really hard. I I will say that um, we, we talk about it all the time that we feel very blessed that it's the two of us together because we are truly a team. Um, We, I don't know how I would do this Mm -hmm. without him. And he feels the same way. Um, Yes, we have our moments and obviously there's lots of things that we have to talk, Mm -hmm. talk through, or we might not agree on it first, but then we kind of figure out a plan around it. Um, but it's been difficult in that, you know, we get emotional a lot. I mean, there are days where one or the, both of us are crying. There are days where one or both of us are screaming, not at each other, but at our children or, you know, just mad at the situation, um, that we wouldn't wish this on Mm -hmm. anyone. Like, obviously our situation could be worse. Um, and we're, we're humbled by, by the fact that it's not, but in the moments of day-to-day life where things are so, so hard and we don't get many breaks because not many people mm-hmm. can handle our children yeah. together, um, and our situation. And so, yeah, we lose it a lot, <laughs> a lot. And just, you know, or like how sometimes we feel like, is it ever going to get better is it ever going to get easier and he'll be the first one to say that he says it all the time he's like you know we have we have good Mm -hmm. moments we have good days we have bad days but we have more bad days than good more hard there's more hard yeah more hard yes more hard um can we hear about mason's diagnosis because i'd love Mm -hmm. to see kind of what the timeline of that is and Mm -hmm. yeah so, uh, so after Connor was born and, you know, I have these two babies, yeah. basically, I knew that with Connor's diagnosis, I was going to need some time to not have both boys. So I looked into a local Christian preschool um, to put him in like one to two days a week, just, just to give me a, a break. Um, 
And so we did that later in the year. I think Mason was like one and a half. Um, and since we had early intervention coming to our house for Connor, they kind of cued me into like, hey, Mason's not saying a whole lot of words either. Um, it seems like he might have a speech delay. Um, you should look into early intervention for him as well. And so I did, and we started having um, a speech person and then eventually an OT person coming to the house to work with him. Um, and that was going great. I, I, I didn't feel like we were making much progress, but I, I just felt like they were, they were helping us and that it was probably a speech delay. And I didn't really think too much into it until um, the next year um, when Mason got moved in his little preschool class to a, an older class. And I would drop him off in the morning and I would be one minute away from the school and I would get a phone call. And they would say, uh, Jen, I'm so sorry to call you, but Mason is inconsolable right now. He is throwing things, he is hitting things, he bit the teacher, um, he's having a really hard time we're going to need you to come get him. And I would turn around with my baby <laughs> in the car seat and go pick him up. And then it would happen the next time. And the next time to, to where I literally would start driving away and I would just be in tears. And then I would get the phone call again. Um, and his teacher at the time was very sweet. Um, and she was trying to tell me because uh, here's the thing, looking back on this, um, the the people the professionals i guess there's certain requirements that they cannot just come out and say hey i think your child right. has autism and i'm sure you guys ran into that too so they have to tiptoe around it and honestly i feel like that was such a detriment because it kept me mm -hmm. in denial um i feel like everyone was just skirting around it nobody was just coming out and saying it and they'd send me things you know websites go check out this website and it would be an autism website but they wouldn't say and so I'm like well why are you sending me this like what should I just someone tell me what to do you know um and finally his speech gal that was coming um to the home said I think you should go have him just tested she didn't say what for she didn't really talk about the test just the test with a psychologist um and here in Tucson, there is like one. So the wait list is a year long. And I knew I couldn't wait a year to get him tested. So I made an appointment for a year from then um, and then started calling places up in Phoenix. And luckily, we got into a place up in Phoenix like a month later um, and took him up there. And that could be a whole nother <laughs> podcast because that was probably the worst experience of our lives up until <laughs> that point. Um, we thought the lady was out of her mind. She kept asking me the same question over and over and over to where we were like, is this a test? Is she testing us? You know, um, or is she not listening? But basically, Mason just melted down for the entire test. She brought us into an office for it. We weren't in like a safe or kid-friendly environment. Um, and she was doing the test that they do where they blow bubbles and they see if they notice a balloon in the room and, you know, all the things, see if they make on, eye contact, how many words they say, whatever. So after we were there for hours and it was absolutely miserable, um, she basically said, hey, there's this spectrum and he's on the spectrum and we think he's a level two. And again, I 
still don't feel like she came out and said he has autism or he is autistic. She just said he's on the spectrum. And so again, us being in our denial, we were like, oh, well, maybe it's sensory processing disorder is on the spectrum. And so we need to seek therapy for that. Um, but pretty much from that, that point, I knew that we needed another place for him. Um, and someone had told me about a local preschool that specialized with kids with autism and with speech delays. And they were literally my angels and my godsend. And I believe Shannon, you, Gracie also went mm-hmm. to that preschool. Um, but they, they did, they came in and swooped me up and said, Jen, there's nothing wrong with your child. He has a diagnosis. We're going to help him. We're going to help you get through this. Everything is going to be okay. And I just, I remember just sobbing in the first meeting with them. Just like I finally found (laughs) someone who wasn't making my kid feel like, like there's every time that preschool called me, I was like, what's wrong with my kid? Like, why, why is this happening? And it's not happening to any of the other kids in the class, you know? And, and, you know, that, that is, that is hard. The hard thing, Jen, uh, my husband and I, Tyler experienced a similar situation and, looking back now, you know, uh, five, six years later, um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't fault them because they do have to, you know, it's one thing when your pediatrician comes to you and says, you know, I I think their autism could be the situation. Let's, you know, get on the testing, um, dockets or whatever. But yeah, I, I, I can see now where, you know, preschools, they, they don't, you know, and, and then they also don't want to say, you know, your child just has behavioral issues because they, because they can probably see that it's not just behavioral. It's, it's that this child is, you know, most likely going to be on the autism spectrum, but, but they can't just say that, you know? So, um, and I, I totally get that. And I don't, I don't, I totally understand. It was just so hard for me to get there because everyone was just kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, well, and then, then, then you're picking him up every day, you know, because I mean, that's trauma over and over and over again, mm-hmm. you know? It was, um, I, yeah, I, it was, I have PTSD yeah. for sure. Cause once he was in that new preschool, I was like, are you guys going to yeah. call me? Like, am I, and they're yeah. like, no, we're not, he could have the worst day ever and we're not going to call you. And when you pick him up, we're going to tell you he had a good day. We worked through mm-hmm. some things, you know, and that's what I needed at that time because it was like so just such a gut punch, you know, every time trying to uh, uh, just hear yeah. that <laughs> over and over instead of something positive. So they, they really saved us in that time. Um, granted, six months later, COVID. Hit. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. This is the time we're on. Okay. I was going to, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, COVID hit, so no more preschool. Everybody had to be home. So now mom is home with the boys because, of course, my husband's job was like, oh, no, you keep coming. Like, he wasn't one of the guys that got sent home to work from home for however long during COVID. He still went to work every single day. And my parents couldn't come over and help, like, the whole thing. So um, that was a tough time. I feel like I blocked (laughs) out a lot of it. (laughs) but anyways, once that went past, um, he got to go back to that preschool again. Um, and at that time, we started looking into ABA therapy um, because, again, he still wasn't really speaking. He had maybe five words 
Um, his favorite word was go. He <laughs> said that a lot. He said it for everything. He would point at what he wanted. Um, and then he was, as I, as I mentioned, aggressive. Like he, because he could not communicate and tell me what was wrong, he would just be aggressive and he would have these epic meltdowns. And, and out of nowhere, I mean, I remember him, he would wake up at midnight and just lose his mind. And I'm like, what is going on? What does he want? Is he hungry? Did he have a bad dream? You know, he can't tell me. He's, you know, throwing himself at walls, banging his head. And again, as a parent, you're just, your heart is broken because you're like, what is happening in your little body? You know, and how do I fix it? How do I calm you down? Um, so we, I, I ended up looking into ABA therapy through HopeBridge um, and um, a place that did in-home therapy as well, um, because HopeBridge, when I finally, finally got him into there, it was a wait list. Um, and luckily, he wasn't on the wait list for too long. I'd say probably like six or seven months. Um, but we started in-home ABA therapy while we waited for that. And I do think that helped us because it, it you know, got him used to ABA therapy and just understanding how that worked. Um, and so when they were ready to take him in clinic or in center, um, he was full time, five days a week, 8.30 to four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and I know that's not for everyone. Um, and it's every family's decision on, on ABA. I do feel like ABA gets a bad rap and it, it really isn't what, <laughs> what it's, you know, everybody says about it. Um, but it really, truly, it brought him so far. I mean, yeah. so far. So yeah. thankful for that. Um, and so we've talked about that before, where it's like a lot about how ABA is implemented in the provider, you know, and how they work with your child and that sort of thing. And so while he was going to Hopebridge and he was doing, you know, in-clinic ABA, were you still, were you still at home with Connor or what did that look like? Yes. And so I guess I forgot to mention that too. I actually work from home. So I have three part-time jobs that I do from home as well. Um, oh, <laughs> which <laughs> I had a career before I had Mason and I had a, a wonderful, amazing boss at the time that just said, when you're ready to get back to work and work from home with your babies, I will, I will find something for you to do. And I have worked with him ever since and will work. <laughs> For him for as long as I can because he's fantastic but um it's been a blessing and a curse obviously like it's great to be able to work from home but then it's also again another you know responsibility mm -hmm. on top of the kids and their appointments and their schooling and everything else um but yes I was home with Connor um doing speech therapy um he ended up also starting a preschool um at the deaf and blind school they actually have a spoken language program for kids with cochlear implants. So all the kids with cochlear implants or hearing aids or, or just deaf um, and not seeking that route, they all go to that preschool. Um, and the, the wonderful people there, oh my gosh, they're, they're amazing and know how to work with those kids. So um, yeah, all of that was happening. And at the time, Mason Center that he got into was only on the far east side of town away from us. So I would literally drive him 45 minutes 
to 50 minutes every single day, all the way over there and then come all the way back. And yeah. So you're spending four <laughs> hours a day in the car just for Mason. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I actually drove yeah. by Hope Bridge the other day doing a showing and I was like, oh, Jen, like I thought of you as I drove by because I'm like, I, <laughs> I cannot even. Um, yeah. And yeah. I want to, because you're talking about Arizona School of Deaf and Blind and you had shared something with me that really struck me the other day when you were over at the house. And um, Jen was telling me about how they did give her a mentor for Connor, um, you know, when he got his diagnosis of being deaf. Um, I would love for you to, I know you know what I'm talking about. So if you wouldn't mind kind of diving into that, because I think it's just eye-opening. Yes, they do. They give you um, they give you a mentor, which is fantastic. And pretty much all the people in inter early intervention are wonderful because they do try to help guide you and just give you all of the things. Because yeah, when you get any diagnosis, you're just like, oh my gosh, yeah. what do I do? Which way do I go? What what makes the most sense? What have people done before? Um, so it was really great because we actually went to the deaf and blind school many times. We got to talk to other parents um, who had children that maybe went the cochlear implant route. Um, and that sort of thing. Um, but they also let us in on the fact that the deaf community doesn't always think it's a good thing that you do cochlear implants for a deaf child. And I hadn't really thought about that um, until it happened to me. Um, and I won't say where it happened or who, obviously, but um, I I was... Um, I had Connor in a stroller and he had, I think at the time only maybe one cochlear implant. I'm not sure, but um, had his cochlear implants on and um, just had someone say to me, I would never do that to my child. And I didn't really know what he was talking about. I was like, do what, what is happening? Um, and she was like, those are cochlear implants, aren't they? And I said, yeah, they are. And, and she goes, Oh, well, you know, I grew up in the deaf community and, and I would just, I would never do that to my child. Um, you know, why, why would you want to change them or why would you want to do that to them? Um, and it just, I mean, it did, it just hit me like Mack truck. Uh, and I, I really, I was taken aback. I didn't really know what to say. I just said, we thought we were giving him, a, you know, an opportunity. And honest, honestly, I should have said, like, really <laughs> yeah. Listen, I don't have to explain myself to you, but I'm just not that person. Um, and so I just kind of shied away from it and was like, I'm so sorry you feel that way. Um, I'm going to mm -hmm. go. <laughs> I'm going to go this way. Um, and, you know, John has told me, too, when Connor was little, that, you know, he would be walking around Costco and you either get good looks curious looks or mean looks um it, it just kind of and I just it was oblivious to it I just didn't really even realize that stigma was there well I'm um, listening and I'm like and, gut punch and oh my gosh I had no idea but wow mm -hmm. and I just think that's I important guess, yes. to talk about yeah because like similar to the you know maybe the autism um, community where, you know, doing these certain things to try and, you know, quote unquote, change your child to make them less autistic. Right. Yeah. And you just don't, I mean. Right. The yeah, bridge, that, like the bridge over, you know. Yeah. And I and, think and, sometimes we get so wrapped up in this autism bubble that we live in that we forget that, like, that I haven't yeah, considered other, that. Yeah. Other yeah. communities that deal with the same kind of, mm -hmm. um, 
and man, that just breaks my heart because, you know, listening to this and as, as you know, you're his mom and you're wanting to give him opportunity, not necessarily, you don't want to change him, you know, like he's perfect just right. the way he is, but yeah. oh gosh, exactly. oh, I feel like I'm going to. And as a mom, you know, I, I think that of other moms, like I, I, that's the hard part. And, you know, I, I know we see it a lot on social media. That's like mom shaming or whatever, like every family has their own, their own choices and make their own decisions. Like I didn't look upon someone who had a deaf child that chose not to do cochlear implants. Like that was their choice and, and that's what works for them and good for them. Um, similarly for us, you know, I, I would never judge someone or say like, you shouldn't have done that. I mean, she didn't know me from Adam, like, you know, um, or the situation. So, yeah. And, and it's true. It is, it's a, it's a parallel with autism because it's the same thing. Like, why are you trying to change your child? And it's like, look, as a parent, I'm, I'm trying to help my child and, and make their life a little easier, a little, a little better if I can, you know, that's all. I'm not trying to change them. Yeah. Because unfortunately the world and society that we live in does not make it easy for any disabled person, whether it's mentally or physically. So, mm-hmm. you know, as the parents, you, just like you just said, Jen, we're, we're just trying to do our best to help our children succeed and, and I don't want to say fit in, but for lack yeah. of better words, you know, fit into a society that is not accepting. That doesn't Ugh. make room. Yeah. And until you walk through it, until you Zero walk idea. It, yeah. I mean, obviously I've never been in this position before and we made the decisions that we did based on the information that we had, but we're all, we're all doing our best. We're all there. doing our best. And I think exactly. too, Jen, like when you told me about that, you know, you had said, I wanted to give him the choice. I wanted him to have the choice. And if he chooses not to utilize this tool, that is up to him and he gets to make that decision. But it's one of those things, if I'm not wrong, that it's the sooner the better. So it's like, if I want him to have this option, I have to make the choice now, you know? That is the, that is the exact point I was just going to make is uh, I actually had a friend, his daughter has taken a sign language class. Actually, she knows Maya, they're besties. We'll talk <laughs> about that another time because Tucson's such a small town. Um, but she was doing, uh, I guess they were doing like a battle or, you know, a discussion about should you do cochlears or should you not? And she called me and wanted to know our story mm-hmm. and hear all about it and wanted to know the pros and cons. Because they thought, well, we'll just get it later. Like, it, let them make that decision and have them get the cochlear implants later. And I said, that's the thing. Like, that's how you're going to win the argument is that the sooner they hear the sound, that brain activity has to happen. Otherwise, the brain may not recognize sound yeah. later on. Like, that is yeah. the yeah. key. So, it sounds very yeah. similar to, like, you, you know, they talk about... Um, having children play instruments and and be musically inclined at a much younger age or learn a second language Mm -hmm. because it starts firing those neurons in the brain and and creating new pathways. So obviously sounds very similar to doing the cochlear implants and yeah, I'm sure doing it later, older, like a lot of things, you know, is not going to be. It's going to be harder on him. It's going to be harder. Yeah. I mean, physically and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, oh yeah. And it's also a difference to if a child is born 
hearing and loses hearing over time, that's a very different situation. Just like there, are, you may have seen like an, an elderly person with a cochlear implant, it's because they've lost their hearing in one ear and they've gotten it to hear again. It's a completely different situation because they've actually been hearing yeah. for that, you know, that amount of time first or whatever, and then regressed. Um, but yeah, so. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, you're in store. Your story is. Whew. I'm so glad you came. No, it's so good. It's so good. And, and, you know, much like Shannon said in the beginning, you know, um, I, I would say a good majority of us in this community, you know, we either have the situation where our, we have, you know, one neurodiverse child and then one neurotypical child or multiple neurotypical. And, you know, so you just don't hear the dynamic of a neurotypical child that is deaf and then, and then, you know, the, the neurodiverse and, and yeah, I, that just that competing of man, you are, yes. you are God's you know that? <laughs> I hope you say that about yourself because you're, you're so that, that's like, you know, you are the true hero of, of advocating for both of your children um, and, and trying to create this loving, cohesive, comfortable situation for both of them where they can both thrive and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you're the real MVP girl. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. You and John, because John. No, no, no. And I, and you know, and I was just oh, going to yeah. say, you know, to yeah. to go back to what Shannon when she was asking about, you know, your guys's marriage and um, whatnot. I'm I'm sure this is one of those situations in a marriage when it happens this early on. Um, it either makes you or breaks you, right? You know, you you guys immediately, yes, you're hard and it's hard and, and it is ever changing and, you know, the ebb and flow of, of all of it. Um, but you guys have built your, your concrete, like we need each other and our children need us together, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And that's exactly so right. incredible. It, it like kudos because you're not, you guys aren't just working hard for your children. You're working hard f- for the two of you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I, I know not everybody believes in everything, but it's God put us together for a reason oh, and gave us those children for a reason because they, he knew that we, yes. you talk we all the G-O-D. I could. am Jesus. Okay. And if people don't like it, oh, well. <laughs> well, I and I think too, I do want to point out that, you know, you two also wake up every day and you make the choice to tackle right. it as a team. Right. And, you know, whether God put you together or not, you're still making that choice every single day to tackle it as a team. And that should be commended because it's really easy living a lifestyle that is as difficult as the life that we live um, in just consciously making that decision every day. Um, Yeah. Because arguments are easy and stress comes fast in the lives that we live. And it's sometimes yeah. it's hard, you know, it's hard to remember that you're, you're in it together and you're not right. on an Island, you know? So. And it's hard to work on your marriage when you can't. Yeah. When there's no date nights, what are those? Yeah. You know, right. I know. Jim right. and I literally exactly. had margaritas by the pool the other night for a date night. Like we're like, cool. Amazing. Like, yeah. Because Fantastic. what do you do? You know what I mean? Um, 
So obviously I know that like these episodes can get heavy, um, but I would love to know before we wrap out, what is like a win? Give me a big win. Give me a win for both of the boys. Like what is something that's happened lately that we can cheer, cheer for them for? Well, so I'll kind of go back Mm -hmm. to go forward, but um, unfortunately for us, Connor's cochlear implant started failing him um, at about three years old. They may have started before that and we just didn't know, but he wasn't making progress. And after a bunch of testing realized that his implants just happened to be in this batch that let moisture into the electrodes, it would ground the electrode and he just wasn't getting the sound he was supposed to get. Sorry, not to take it back sad, but we ended up having to re-implant him. Again, say what you want to say about that, but we had to re-implant him because we were like, we're already going this way. We're already on this journey. This is what we chose. We're going to give him the best we can give him. So we re-implanted him. And the win is he has made so much progress since he's done that. So much. Um, He is at his preschool. He's about to graduate from his preschool in two weeks. he is not where the other kids are that, you know, didn't have to be re-implanted, but he is trying and he is going to be my chatty Kathy. He will just walk around the house and be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like just, he cannot wait to talk. Aww. He's social. He loves other kids. Like he is just, he's going to take off, um, you know, once he starts kindergarten, it's going to be great. But just seeing that and hearing his little voice, um, it is just a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful thing. Um, and similarly with Mason, um, he, he graduated out of the Hope Bridge clinic program. He was, um, most recently doing that, um, half the day and kindergarten half the day. So he was doing both and he graduated out of that program and is just in kindergarten right now. He is about to graduate out of kindergarten and go to first grade and he is doing so well. I mean, he has his moments, mm-hmm. obviously, and things we have to work through. Um, he wears headphones to kind of block out noises. He has learned to ask for a break or say, I don't like that mm-hmm. sound, or I need to go for a walk. Um, and that's all in school at home. <laughs> you know, we still don't, we still aren't quite there yet because it's our brother and we're home and mm-hmm. it's safe. And so we just lash yeah. out irrationally. Um, but in school, he's doing so well. He's writing and reading and it's just, it makes my heart so happy. It's so beautiful to see him, you know, growing and thriving and talking and actually asking questions and sometimes answering questions, which is something that we just never thought we were going to hear. I mean, we never thought that he would even get Mm -hmm. to that point so uh, it's just been a beautiful well and self-advocating like that is so important and that's going to help with him lashing out because he's able to ask for what he needs so that is huge you know and it has it might be hard they're they're at that age you know it's a hard (laughs) age period like period (laughs) i don't care you know what they are um but they, they are going to learn so much from each other and they are going to be each other's advocates. You know, I really, truly believe that. Like th- this is, you know, yeah. I hope so. I told that to John. I'm like, they're so close in age. I pray that when they are in high school, that they are just the yes. best of buds and they're keeping secrets mm-hmm. from mom yes. and dad and, oh. you know, 
I, I hope. I, I can't wait for that. I do. I think they will stick up for each other and mm-hmm. help each other. Yeah. You know, when they can both finally fully communicate and understand mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Um, Man. Yeah, sure. it's going to happen. I can just <laughs> see the writing on the wall. I can I'm getting feel all the it. feels. I'm getting all the feels. I am getting all the feels. Oh, yeah. gosh. And they are the <laughs> sweetest. They are the sweetest boys, and they are the cutest boys. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to convince Jen that she needs a golden retriever because Connor was Connor was pretty <laughs> yeah, obsessed, yeah, with with Toodles, with Toodles when he was here. And, and, and you know, like, honestly, just adding one more thing to the mix is. I mean, really, come on. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. She, she, I said the same thing when I Shannon said she was going. I was like, yeah, do it, do it. Get one more thing. Why not? I'm the queen of just adding one more thing, though. So it's. Oh, fine. it's she fine. is. I've got. I'm just yeah. saying. I, I have a breeder, yeah. so you just let me know when you're ready. It's fine. I'm <laughs> yeah. on it. I love. I- maybe maybe let John. John, John weigh in on Come that. on, John. I mean, he loves Everybody loves a dog. Animals, but he'll be like, what? You're giving us something else to take care of? You know, I mean, those boys played with that dog for a couple hours. So I'm just saying. They like, did. And until until it wears off, it would be an awesome yeah. dog. <laughs> well, they're still young enough to like growing with it, you know, and mm-hmm. it being kind of like a therapy dog for them, you know? Maybe it would bring right. them together. Just right? Yeah. I just... <laughs> Or they'd fight over it's it. True. You need two. Them. You I need two golden retrievers. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> my breeder is going to be my best friend. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. But I want to say thank you, Jen, because um, I think this is so important. I think that everything that you shared is so important and eye-opening. And I think sometimes, like I said earlier, we can get stuck so stuck in our own little bubble that we don't realize that like this life has so many different directions, you know, that... I just think it was really good to share yeah. everything that you guys have faced. And then um, do you, if there is anyone who resonates or who maybe lives a similar life to you, do you want to share your Instagram handle just in case? Yeah, I would love that. Um, it's at Jen Haas one um, and Haas has two A's and one S. Uh, we get Hassie a lot, H-A-S-S-E. And hilarious. <laughs> um so it's not easy to sell the last name, but yes, please share it with everyone. Um, would love to connect and even share like trials mm-hmm. and tribulations. Like one thing we didn't talk about mm-hmm. with sign language, that was a whole yeah. other thing. Um, but just, I would love to connect and, and help someone and maybe tell them the things that I wish <laughs> I did differently or, you know. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. we'll make sure when we, when we uh, release the episode, we'll share it. And then we'll like tag you in the reel and everything like that yeah. too. So you guys and, can ha- and have you on the, have Shannon can go live with you and you can, yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. Maybe share that. The boys. And thank you guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for, thank you for letting me share our story and thank you for all you've done because I truly I was in a hard place when I started listening to your podcast and you guys were doing that five stages of grief. And I have never felt more heard and seen in my entire life trying listening to those episodes, but you also make me laugh. We're kind of funny. So I'm just going <laughs> to, we're funny. We remind yes, everybody too. You are. You're hilarious. Yeah, remind everybody. Remind everybody. And can I just funny. say one more time, like how good is God that like you guys three minutes away or whatever you said like that is so oh my gosh and we're connected to so many of the same people it's just 
Tucson is such a small world, but yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, yes. it's that, it's that perfect. God that gave me, gave me a new divine intervention. It was meant to be. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay guys. So <laughs> do us a favor and, um, wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a review. Pretty please. A writing one is my favorite. Um, it just helps us with algorithm. You know what I'm saying? It just is what it is in these times of social media and math and things. So please leave us a review. We love your faces. Thank you for joining us, girls. Yes. Say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.